couple of weeks ago, we kicked off this series called Thrill of Hope. And it doesn't take people very long to catch on that we stole the name from the lyrics of one of the most famous Christian uh, Christmas songs of all time, O Holy Night, right? And, and I've learned this week, it was actually a French poet who wrote this as a poem, not a song. And someone later put music to it and made it a song. But whoever did what, they got the message right. And I, I want to read the lyrics for you again. They go like this. The phrase that we're zeroing in on goes like this. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. And, and basically what that means is for a long, long time, thousands of years, this world was stuck. It was broken. And they were looking for a savior. They were looking for someone to be literally the bridge between broken, messy humans who were stuck in sin and a holy God who couldn't accept sin. And Jesus came. And that's where the second line comes, till he appeared. Those three words are a direct uh, reference to Jesus Christ coming into this world as a little baby. He appeared as a baby, born in a barn. They laid him in a cow trough. We've been talking about the chaos that he entered into this world in. And, and, and these, the, the lines here say, till he, like, for a long time we were in sin and error and pining until he appeared. Then the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, referring to Jesus, the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious moment. And that last line is basically telling you and I, and, and I don't know what you've been going through this week, I don't know what you've been going through this year, but here's the reality. No matter what your life story looks like right now, a new morn is breaking. Like, this isn't the end. What you're going through right now is not the final note of the song. It's not the final line in the story. God's still writing your story. And, and because of what Jesus did, not just as a little baby, but growing up into a man living a perfect life and dying on the cross and then raising again on the third day to defeat death, because of all of that, you and I can look forward to the morning. And maybe the morning's months ahead for you. Maybe you're walking through a really dark season right now. Whatever it is, there's a new day coming, and it's going to be great. So hold on to that thought, because we're going to come back to, to those lyrics. But um, l- let me recap uh, what we've done the last couple of weeks, in case you've missed it. Uh, so we kicked this thing off by talking about chaos, hope in the midst of chaos. And we, we kind of described the chaos that Jesus was born into, Uh, Mary's a pregnant virgin, never been with a man before. She tells Joseph, he's freaking out. The angels are visiting. Then they have to uh, walk 70 miles uh, to Bethlehem while Mary's nine months pregnant to register for the census. She goes into labor while they're there. There's no hotels, so they end up giving birth in a barn, putting Jesus in a cow trough. And here's what we said with all of that. Don't miss this. This is worth taking a picture of, even if you've already done it once. Jesus wasn't just born into chaos he came to calm the chaos now hold that thought because i'm going to address that statement calm the chaos in a minute because i think sometimes we we get uh undue expectations that we place on that statement he came to calm the chaos i'll come back to that but we also said this jesus did not come to condemn you for your chaos 
He came so that you could have hope in the midst of the chaos. And if there's anything in this world that separates believers and non-believers, it's that right there. Hope in the midst of chaos. Hope in the midst of really bad things that we can't explain, heavy things that we're walking through, uncertainties in our lives, uh, things that keep us stuck in our lives. Now, here's a couple of things to keep in mind. First, that calm the chaos statement. Listen to this, okay? Don't miss this today. It's not on your screens, but don't miss this. Jesus coming to calm the chaos and giving hope in the midst of chaos does not in any way imply no chaos. We live in a broken, messy world. It's going to be like that until Jesus comes back for his church. It's going to be like that. We, chaos comes with the territory, and you should not be shocked when your life is turned upside down. That's what happened when sin entered the world. When people mistreat you, when people turn their backs on you, when unexpected things with your career or your marriage or your kids happen, you shouldn't be in a state of shock going, wait a minute, what's happening right now? You should calmly say, you know what? This makes sense because my world is broken. And I'm so glad that I have hope to hold on to because Jesus came to calm all this chaos. The hope that Jesus brought into this world and the hope that Jesus is allows you and I to remain steady when chaos ensues. Now, I mentioned this on the first week of this series that on Christmas Eve, which is now one week from right now, we'll be in this room worshiping and celebrating Christmas Eve. We're going to come full circle back to that hope in the midst of chaos. So a couple of things here. First of all, don't miss next week. If you're in town, don't miss. Second, If you're in town next week, don't miss and don't come without somebody else. Bring somebody with you. Listen to me. That's not, it's not so that we can put more people in this gym. We don't, we don't care about that, or at least I don't. Our staff will tell you, I don't even know what, what number of people come here every week because I don't want it to be about a number. Here's what I want it to be about. I want you to bring somebody with you. I want you to invite co-workers and neighbors and families and friends. I want you to do that so that we can deliver just a little bit of hope next week. On a day, in case you didn't know this, maybe you're like me because 99% of my Christmas Eves have been awesome. Please, God, don't change that. But, but Like, they've been awesome. I love it. I get to spend time with family, and it's just this warm, happy day. Look at me, friends. It's not that way for everybody, including some people that you work with and live next to and are related to and do life with. Be that person that reaches out and says, hey, come with me. Okay, now, if you are gone next week, and I, I realize we already got a lot of people gone, but listen to me. If you're gone next week, you don't have to miss Christmas Eve service. This is a big deal. On Christmas Eve, December 24th, for the first time ever, we will broadcast live our entire worship experience on Facebook Live. So wherever you are, you can clap for that. That's amazing. That's so exciting. And wherever you are, if you're at grandma's or mom's or cousin's or whatever, uh, you can get on our Facebook at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and you can be a part of what God's going to do next, next week. And so, so don't miss all that. Okay, now, fast forward. Then next week, uh, last week, we talked about this thing called the hope 
of transformation. And the idea that we talked about there is that Jesus didn't come to just give you hope so that you could hang on till heaven. Jesus came with the hope that you need to become a new person. He didn't die on the cross for you to live the same life you did before you handed over the keys of your life to him and after. When you bump into Jesus, it ought to change you. Remember that thing, that that word transformation is is a word that comes from a root definition that says changing the, the composition or the structure of a being. Like you're a new person and that's that's what we said last week is that you act different because you are a new person and we also said this look at this on the screen the power to change doesn't come from within you this is not a willpower thing the power to change comes from who lives in you you don't have the power to change things in your life maybe little things right? Maybe, maybe you're going to eat more vegetables for a few weeks or whatever. In January, you're going to go to the gym for four weeks in a row or what. That, that's right. And then by February, you're like, I'm out. See you next year, Jim. But I'm going to pay for you all year long, right? Makes so much sense. Changing your, your character and how you see the world and how you think about things and how you treat people, that's a job for the Holy Spirit. And you have to hand over the keys of your life to Jesus and say, I want to be a new person. I I want want a brand new start. Both of those weeks, we defined hope like this. And we carry this throughout the whole series. Hope is this, knowing that God is good. Not everything that happens to you is good, but God is good. He loves me unconditionally, and that regardless of my current circumstances, his plan for my life is still good, and it's still intact. And, And what that last part means is this. People all over the world, especially Christians, fall for this lie from the enemy that says, God loves me to a certain point. But if I push the envelope too far, if I turn my back on him too many times, if I fade away too far, then he's going to have had enough with me and he's going to vote me off the island or he's going to give up on me. Look at me. This is really good news. You're going to be so glad you came today. Look at me. You cannot out God's grace. He loves you no matter what you do. Now, disclaimer here, newsflash, that, that doesn't mean no consequences. When you do stupid things, consequences come with it. When we make poor choices, poor consequences are probably going to follow. But that doesn't mean that God's up in heaven going, I'm done with that one. Find me somebody that's better. He knows all of us. In fact, the Bible says our very best is like filthy rags before him. He doesn't doesn't believe in you and he doesn't have a plan for your life based on your performance. That's how humans react, not how God treats us. God looks at you and he sees the blood of Jesus Christ and what was paid for you. So that brings us to today. And and I promise when we get done, you're going to be so glad you came. Maybe not at the beginning, but by the end, you're going to be, be really excited and I, I hope encouraged by the Word of God. So, so here we go. In fact, let's stop and pray before we uh, dive into this part today. God, I, I want you to speak to our hearts today. Nobody came in here today needing to hear what Steve Ferris has to say or what I think about life. You, God, have the power to change us. You are hope. 
And so, Lord, as we dive into your word in Galatians chapter 4 today, would you make those words leap off that screen, leap off the pages into our hearts and change us from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let me start by asking a question that we touched on last week, and here's the question. Do you ever feel stuck? Just let that settle for a minute, right? And, and here's, here's what that means in my life, okay? Sometimes there's something inevitably, something in my life that I know needs to change, but I just can't. Anybody relate to that? Like, like I know it's there. I, maybe it's a character flaw, if it's a sin or a bad habit or whatever. It needs to change. I know it needs to change, but it never changes. And it makes me feel stuck, like, what's going on? Why can't I get past this? And it seems like I'm trapped in that area. It's like it owns me. I, I, I th- sometimes, literally, in some of these areas of my life, I throw up the white flag before I ever get out, out of bed in the morning. Like, I'm no match for this. I, I'm stuck in this area. It, it's kind of like this. See if you can relate. The harder I try to get rid of it, the harder it locks itself onto me and won't let go. Am I the only one that deals with, with that kind of stuff in, in their lives? I didn't think so. Here's the ironic thing with, with when we're stuck, areas of our lives when we just can't get over something. All throughout Scripture, this is true. I'm going to show you a couple examples today, but all throughout Scripture, there are verses in the Bible that completely contradict this stuckness that we struggle with on a, on a yearly, monthly, weekly, or for some, some of us, maybe hourly basis. Let me show you. First of all, Matthew 19, verse 26. The Bible says this, Jesus looked at them, us, you, intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Now, time out. In a perfect world, like in a vacuum, sign me up for that, right? Nothing is impossible with God. No, all things are possible with God on your side. I'll take some of that. In fact, I'll take several doses of that. When you just read it like it reads, it sounds awesome, doesn't it? How about this one? Philippians 4.13, the all-time refrigerator verse. It goes like this. For I can do all things, everything through Christ who gives me strength. You know what, you know what that says? There's nothing you can't do with God's strength in your life. Not, nothing. And, and when I read those, it goes, that's, that's awesome. Except that it's not true in my life. Like, everything sounds great except for the fact that I can't do all things. Like, there are some things that I try to do and I just stay stuck. And it makes me have these problems with what God's promising me. And it it makes me have this battle within my heart and soul that goes something like this. Either there's something wrong with you, God, and you're not doing your job right, or there's something wrong with me and I'm defective, and these promises only apply to people who got their act together, not to losers like me. It's what I battle in my life on a regular basis. Now here's the crazy part. Either those verses in the Bible are true or they aren't. 
It can't be both. It can't be, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me and I'm stuck. Both of those can't be true. One of those has to be broken. Either God's word is broken or me staying stuck. Something's broken and I'm not getting what God wants me to get, right? And so maybe you're sitting there today and and obviously we would all agree that God's word is perfect. It says what it says because it's true. You can do, you, you can overcome anything you face. You can do whatever he asks you to do because his strength lives in you. Okay, great. So we all agree on paper that that's true. Then here's the million dollar question. Why am I still stuck? Why do I still struggle with some of the things that I, that I struggle with? Why can't I get past this? Why can't I change? And here's part of the good news. It's not totally the good news yet, so just relax. But I think I have the answer. I think I know why we stay stuck. I came across it uh, several months ago while I was studying, and then I hit it again this week. And it, it, we actually touched on this about a year and a half ago when we were still in the cafeteria, but it's really powerful. Y'all want to hear it? Good. You don't really have a choice, but I just want to make sure, see if y'all wanted to hear it or not. I think there are two words in all of our lives that explain why we stay stuck. In spite of the amazing truth from God's word, all things are are possible, I can do all things, we continue to get stuck. And what happens when we're stuck is we end up settling for a life that is less than God intended for you to live. It's less. It's less relationally. It's less vocationally. It's less spiritually, physically. We settle in our present lives. We settle for a future that we think will be less than stellar. We settle. We get stuck, and then we settle. It's almost as if the enemy or the chatterbox reprograms our brain to think things like this. Look at this. It's been this way forever, so I guess it will always be this way. I've always struggled with this, so I guess I'll always struggle with this. If you don't hear anything else I say today... That's not God talking. God's not saying those words to you. Ah, you're, you, you are what you are. You're stuck. Jesus didn't die for you to stay stuck. He died to set you free. Well, here are the two words, okay? First word is addicted. Now, we all know somebody or we ourselves battle with some kind of addiction. And, and here's the definition of addiction. It holds or owns my mind and receives my primary attention. And I love that statement, it owns my mind. The addictions, or if you want to water it down and call it the habits that I battle in my life, they own me. And I'm talking about Steve Ferris, your pastor. And listen, if we, if we all wanted to just pull back the veil and show everything in our lives... I could show you some things that keep me stuck year after year after year that if you saw them, you'd question whether you want me to be your pastor or not. You got any of those? I doubt I'm the only one. Addicted, it holds or owns my mind and receives my primary attention. And then the other word is slavery. 
Here's the definition of slavery. The state of being owned by someone or something who tells you what you can and cannot do. Addicted and slavery. And when you put those words together, it goes something like this. I'm addicted to thinking like a slave. This is all I've ever known, so I assume this is all I'll ever know. I'm addicted to slavery. Now, I know what you're thinking. Man, Steve, you have such a spiritual gift of delivering good news. Uh, this is so, I'm so happy right now. And, and here's the good news. That's not the good news, okay? Here comes the good news. And, and touche, I, I realize that this, this is not super encouraging up to this point, but if you've made it to this point, even if, you're, even if you're sitting here and going, man, thank you for showing me a mirror of my life or reminding me of how stuck I am. Hang on, you made it this far, here comes the good part. Did you know that the Apostle Paul, who stayed stuck for most of his adult life, then handed over the keys of his life to Jesus Christ on this thing we call the Damascus Road. Remember, he blinded him and, and God spoke to him and all this amazing thing. Then, then he literally changed his name. Wait a minute, listen. And Paul, who used to be named Saul, went from killing Christians to writing half the New Testament that we come in here and study every week. It's a pretty amazing resume, pretty amazing picture of setting someone free out of slavery, right? Well, did you know the Apostle Paul, in his writings in the New Testament, talks about Christmas? He does. It's Galatians chapter 4, and, and, and if you don't learn anything else today, you learn that. If you have a trivia party at work or whatever, and it comes up to, did Paul ever talk about Christmas? You can say with authority, yes, he did. Galatians is a letter written to a group of churches in this area called Galatia. And, and just for, for kicks here, it's modern-day Turkey. So if you think or look up on your smartphone where Turkey is, that's where Galatia was. These were churches that Paul helped start, just like the bridge. They were little baby churches. And over time, these churches, churches had fallen away from the proper teachings that Paul had taught them in the beginning. Specifically, there was a group of leaders who had returned to Mosaic Law, meaning the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments, all that kind of stuff. Watch. They were basically teaching people, once again, to be slaves to the law. And here's what I mean by that. If you don't keep the Ten Commandments and just go through them in your head or Google them, they're pretty hard to keep perfectly, then you're kicked out. Like, God doesn't love you anymore. You'll have to go find an animal and sacrifice that animal. That's what Old Testament life was like. And, and these leaders of these Galatian churches were reverting back to that, even though Jesus came to abolish the old law and bring the new covenant that says, you are under grace because of the blood that I shed for you. It doesn't matter how many times you mess up. It doesn't matter how many times you fall on your face. It doesn't matter how stuck you get. My grace is sufficient for you. That's what Jesus was teaching, and that's what Paul taught this early church. So because they kind of fought, fell away from that teaching, Paul wrote them this letter called Galatians, the letter to Galatians. And, and keep this in mind. When he writes to them, he's writing to you. It's so easy in church today, 2017, to separate this biblical letter from the Apostle Paul to my life. It's about your life. The whole Bible 
is your story. And this is what he wrote in Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. He said this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. But look, love this, verse 5. To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons or children. Now, two more words I want to drill deep on as a part of the good news. Instead of addiction and slavery, let's zero in on redeem and adoption. But we'll come back to adoption in a minute. First, let's look at the same passage again, but a little more modern translation of the Bible. And this should be really good news. Look at this. But when the time was right, God sent his son. That's the Christmas story right there. God sent his son as a little baby Jesus, right? And a woman gave birth to him. His son obeyed the law. Why did he obey the law? So he could set us free from the law and so that we could become God's children. The hope that we're talking about today is the hope of redemption. It's a big churchy word that means bought out of slavery. The whole Bible, don't miss this, young, old, kicking tires, been walking with Jesus for a long time, I don't care who you are today, don't miss this, from Genesis to Revelation, the entire Bible is about redemption. From the very beginning of time, even even when sacrifices were set up in the Old Testament, it's about redeeming the lost. It's about setting captives free. Now, let me call a timeout and talk about the word redeemed for a minute. Because that's the the money word today is, is the fact that you and I don't have to live addicted to slavery. We have been redeemed. And here's what that word means. It comes from a Greek word called agorazo. Agorazo. And the meaning of that word, it literally means bought with a price. Agorazo comes from a root word... Agora. That one sound familiar? A little more in our our language, right? Agora was the marketplace in the middle of town in the time when Paul is writing this letter to Galatians. When he's writing this letter, every town in that area where Paul lived and where Jesus lived, and while I'm at it, let me call a time out for a minute and, and really blow your mind. It's highly possible, if not likely, that Paul met Mary. Jesus' mom. Y'all ever let that just drill down for a minute? Like, same time. Now, now we don't know. All we know this is that Mary was at Jesus' death, right? She sat at the foot of the cross and wept, and John consoled her, if you remember that. We don't know what her story was. We don't know when she died. But shortly after that, not very many years after Jesus died on the cross, Paul's life has changed. He becomes one of the leaders of the gospel movement. It's very possible that he made it happen for him, I want to meet the mother of Jesus. It's crazy, right? Sorry, that, that was free. You, you, that didn't count toward my time today, okay? So, so anyway, um, so Agora was the marketplace in the middle of all these towns. Every one of them had one, and that was the marketplace, the Agora. Now, here, here's what's interesting. Agora is where we get our word agoraphobia, which means fear of public places, right? In the center of every Agora including Galatia, the the letter that Paul is writing to these people, in the center of every agora was a giant rock, a big stone. It sat in the middle of the marketplace. And it was there for one reason and one reason only. 
That stone was the auction block. That's where things were bought and sold and traded. The only problem is the number one thing that was bought and sold on an auction block in the Agora in Galatia at the time that Paul's writing this letter? Slaves. Slave masters would, would march their slaves in and they would put them up on the block, put them up on the stone and say, hey, this one was raised with this bloodline and, and highest bidder, any takers? Or I'll tell you what, I'll trade this slave for whatever. And people were bought and sold literally on these auction blocks. Now, people that lived during this time knew there's only two ways out of slavery. That's it. Like, there's no other options. There's only two ways to not be a slave anymore. Number one is death. That's why so many uh, slaves wrote these spirituals, right? Like, cross over to Zion. Michael, row your boat ashore. It was all about this idea that at least when I die, I'll finally be free. So one way to get out of slavery, die. The only other way is if someone buys you and sets you free. And it really happened. It happened in biblical times in Galatia, Ephesia, all, you know, Ephesus, all, all those places that, that we hear about. It happened in those times. It happened all the way up to the 1800s when slavery was still alive and well, even in the United States. People would go to an auction. They would buy a slave with the sole intent of letting them go free. That's good news, right? Everybody with me today? That's amazing news that somebody would do that for a slave, that they would buy them to set them free, that they would redeem them. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Jesus came into the chaos to redeem you from slavery to all of the things that keep you stuck. That's why he came. In fact, it's the only reason he came. is to redeem you. It's to buy you out of slavery. You and me are the ones on the block. And the only way we get out is death, eternal death, except that Jesus stepped in and goes, I'll buy that one. How much does it cost? Oh, my own life? I'm in. I'm buying. And when I buy you, I'm going to set you free. That's redemption, and that is good news. It doesn't mean that you'll think or live like a free person all the time, but once you hand over the keys of your life to Jesus Christ, you are free. I think one of the first stories I ever told when we opened the doors here at the bridge was a a story about um, the first Gulf War. This is the first Iraqi war. And it was the first war that was ever covered around the clock by 24-hour news channels like Fox News and CNN. And what they would do is they would pick a reporter and they would give them some minimal training. They would put them in Kevlar uh, outfits to somewhat protect them. And then they would put them with a battalion or a company and send them overseas into war. And they would literally travel with them day and night, and and they would report in and all that kind of stuff. And I remember watching CNN uh, in the early 90s, like 1991 or so, and there was this reporter from CNN that was, they called them embedded reporters. They would embed them with a company that was, you know, doing military action overseas. And this this reporter uh, 
comes in one night and he's telling the story of him traveling with this company of, of soldiers. And, and that, that group of soldiers, their job was to go through the city of Baghdad and release prisoners, set them free. That, that was their job. And he said, the most interesting thing happened today because we came upon this one prison and the uh, soldiers went in, they cut the locks off the the doors and the bars and they set these people free. And literally, he's telling this on, on, on camera, he's like, literally, people start running into the streets and dancing because for the first time, many of them in decades, they are free. He said, but... But the odd thing about my experience today is there was one man who refused to come out of prison. And so they, they, they got the leader of this company, the, the captain or colonel or whoever, and he went in and they, they took a translator in and he went into the cell where this man just stooped in the corner of his cell and he kept shaking his head no, talking in Arabic, and he, he wouldn't come out. Even though they were going, dude, you're free, you can go. He just kept shaking his head, talking in Arabic. So they brought a translator in, and this is what he kept saying over and over again. I cannot leave. My sentence is life. I cannot leave. My sentence is life. And as you sit here and hear that guy's story, the tendency for you and I would go, how sad is that? The guy was told he was free, but he chose to stay in prison. Sound familiar? Sound like your life or mine sometimes? We're free. We've been set free. We we don't have to settle. Because Jesus gave his life for you and I, we don't have to settle anymore. Now that is good news. Is that right? Can anybody agree with me on that? That is some good news today. But that's not it. There's more. I know you're excited, but there's more. I want to read this passage again, but I want to add a couple of verses on to the end. Galatians 4, starting in verse 4, the Bible says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born unto the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as his son or children. Now, here's the new verses. Because you are God's children... He has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, look at this, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son or a child. And if you're a son, then you're an heir to the throne of God. You're an heir, right? Now, now I want to I zero on, I don't know if we bolded this or not, but those two words, Abba, Father, you ever wonder what that's all about? Like we sing it, we say it. What does that mean? Well, here's a little history lesson. The, the New Testament, what, what we're reading today and, and what we teach a lot from here at the bridge is written in Greek. That's the original language, okay? Which is now basically a dead language, but that's the, 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 the language that it was written in. Abba is not Greek. A lot of people think it is, but it's not. It's Arabic. And the only reason that the Greeks adopted Abba with the same pronunciation and the same definition is they didn't have a word that matched Abba in their dictionary. And so they just kept it Abba. Abba means daddy. Daddy as in intimate, knowing 
a father on an intimate level, a, a father, a daddy who cares about me, cares enough to redeem me, to go to the auction and buy me so that he can set me free. It's, it's a complete adoption, part of my family, full heir. You ever known someone that was adopted? or that adopted. We have people, in our, families in our church that have adopted children. We have people that go to the Bridge Fellowship who were adopted as children. And, and you probably know this, but here's what happens when a child is adopted. First of all, there's a pursuit that happens. And it could start with photos. It could start with a website where you can look through, through children's pictures and their stories. It could happen through an agency where, where we have teenage mothers who aren't in a place to raise their kid or, or parents, young parents or even older parents that have drug addictions or something. Whatever it is, there's a couple or a family that wants to adopt and they're pursuing a child, like they're looking for a child. Sometimes it's so extreme, especially when it includes overseas adoptions, that you have to go th- over there multiple times before you'll ever get to meet children and and talk to them like there's a lot involved in an adoption there's sacrifice because i don't know if you know this but adoption is not free if you've ever known anybody that's adopted you know that adoption is not free it costs a lot of money there's paperwork we have some friends of ours uh, who adopted from Ethiopia. I shared their story a few weeks ago. And, and, and they still, from time to time, get paperwork from Ethiopia. The paperwork seems to never end. All to adopt someone. Then there's waiting. If you know anybody who's ever adopted, it takes forever. There's waiting and waiting. There are obstacles and setbacks. You get the picture. Adoption's not easy, but watch this. When the adoption goes through, when it's final and the child is adopted, guess what? They are full heirs to the family they've been adopted into. It just doesn't mean that they get to live in a new house. They get a new name. They get a new identity. And they get a brand new life. They don't have to settle for life in an orphanage anymore. They don't have to settle for life in the streets or or growing up in a crack house where mom and dad are both addicted to drugs. They have been bought and set free. That's the hope that came when this little baby was born in a barn. The hope that you could one day be adopted. You know why that's all a big deal? You know why it's a big deal when people adopt children? Because they don't have to. Nobody is making you adopt a kid. Love makes you do it. And that's the same love that made Jesus climb up on a cross to pay the price that it cost to pull you off the auction block and set you free. Last thing here. God didn't just send Jesus to redeem you. He sent Jesus to adopt you. Full air. Name change, the whole shoot and match. You get a brand new life. Remember the mor- this morning I told you we'd come back to the lyrics of O Holy Night? See if this sounds different now. And, I, and I, man, I, I can't wait for next Sunday because next Sunday... The last thing we're going to do on Christmas Eve is we're going to sing this song we've been talking about for four weeks. 
And I hope when we sing it, whether you're somewhere across the country watching on Facebook Live or you're sitting right here in this room with us, I hope these words mean something that they've never meant before because of all we've studied. But look at these words again. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Thousands of years we were broken and stuck till he appeared at the auction block. And then once I was adopted, my soul felt its true worth. Because your worth is not tied to your behavior. The worst mistake we make at judging one another, especially Christians, is we look at... I had this conversation with another pastor this week. Uh, They were asking me about a friend of mine that that is kind of well-known, kind of semi-famous person. They were like, do you think that person's a Christian? Because they sure don't act like it. I'm like, do you? Like, get in line, man. Like, I hope nobody judges me on my behavior. You're... Your, your soul felt its worth not because of how you performed but because he appeared and he adopted you and that's why it's a thrill of hope it, our weary souls rejoice because yonder breaks a new and glorious morn when we got a new name and a new family and a new identity and a new way of living and we don't have to be slaves anymore and we don't have to stay stuck and we don't have to settle because we are redeemed. We are adopted. We are children of God. Full inheritance, full power, full purpose. That is the thrill of hope. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that love made you leave heaven and come to earth. Born into the midst of chaos, into a broken, messy world, you came for one reason. To go to the Agora, to walk up to the auction block and set slaves free. We are no longer slaves Jesus, because you adopted us. We belong to you. Clean slate, brand new life, brand new identity. Thank you. Jesus, when we don't live like it, when we start thinking like a slave again and acting like a slave, thank you, Jesus, that your grace is bigger than that and that your blood covered all that on the cross. Thank you. It's in your name.